Chuck. Um, yeah, we, we just want to spend a, a few moments together processing out loud uh, what this looks like. Uh, Chuck had a quote from Terry Virgo that said, uh, to the essence that this, this is what the contours of love looks like. Um, this isn't to be a, a new law. The goal of this is not to um, have the unity police in our church. Um, all of us have relational failure in our life, uh, but we really need some practical ways to begin to work through that so that we can be set free. Um, it would be very easy for us to be able to uh, preach uh, a message that grace changes everything and then to have that undone by a culture of ungrace. And so we want to see what does grace look like on the ground. And so we know that no one is going to do this perfectly. We're not looking for the perfection of this, but for the pursuit of this. And so we've taken time um, as elders to work through this. We've taken time with the gospel community leaders. So we're going to uh, process probably uh, four or five of these here in this context. We want to let you ask any practical questions. And then uh, the rest of this, um, you're going to just process in community. There's nothing more important than we can do than to understand what does unity look like on the ground because it tells the the world a a better story about Jesus and his love. And so um, Jabari is passing around this unity charter. Really, I I learned of this from a a friend, Alan Frau, who is in California. uh, And he's been uh, just doing some real coaching for me and prayer with me. Um, And he he was very helpful when they walked through the book of Ephesians. Uh, He wrote a a lot of this, and we kind of put our own spin and our own flair on it as well. So grateful for Alan. And I'm just going to just begin. Uh, We're for sure going to cover the first four. So you can feel free to look over this as we're talking. I'm going to let some of the other guys weigh in as well. But beginning with number one, it says we are one. That's right out of Ephesians 4. Because we believe that Christ reconciled us firstly to God, but secondly to one another in his body, the church, we will make every effort to maintain the unity of the spirit, both between local churches and within our own local church. Unity does not mean complete agreement or conformity. Through the cross, we can be united in diversity as we attain the unity of the faith. And the reference there is Ephesians 4. And so um, it is uh, our commitment and our passion, and we want it to be part of our prayer life, that we eagerly maintain the unity of the Spirit uh, together with one another, and that we honor other local churches. Um, I I hope um, there are times when you're going to hear some critiques from the pulpit, but I I hope that the overwhelming... um, posture of our hearts would be that the Jesus is king and that we are one. We're not pretending to be one, um, but we don't assume that we're the only game in town. And there are lots of people that love Jesus and are glorifying Jesus in this city. And so we, um, even the, the Good Friday was an expression of that. And I want to honor Aaron King because that was um, his effort. He put that together just to, in, in response to Jesus, that it's good for us to join uh, with other local churches. So thank you, Aaron. Can we honor Aaron? All the good work he's doing there. So we're going to make real efforts to uh, build unity uh, both internally and with other churches. And so uh, at at the conclusion of each of these, I'm going to ask if either of these guys have any thoughts. um, And then also let you ask any questions. So guys, uh, if you have any thoughts on how you have seen this either go 
wrongly and why something like this would be necessary to say, even though it's in Ephesians 4. Why would this be important for us to pursue both internally and externally? Guess have any thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I was just now studying this week that word maintain. I thought about, well, I maintain my car. I maintain all kind of stuff. But often we treat relationships as disposable. And it's like, well, if that one didn't work out, let's go get another one. Rather than, you know, doing the hard work of looking at our own sin and trying to make that right and seeking peace. And so that was my personal challenge to that, that maintenance. It sounds, well, I don't know what it sounds like, but that's what it sounds like to me. I mean, it is work, but it's work to to fight the fight of faith, uh, to take my sin to Jesus and take the log out of my own eye and then seek peace as far as it's possible with every man, like Roman says. Yeah, that's good. Any other thoughts? Any questions? Jump out there. Okay, so yeah, we want to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. That's kind of the, the catch-all one. We'll move on to number two because um, this, this is my honest-to-goodness assessment probably of us locally and maybe just Christians that I have encountered here. I don't think there's anyone that says, hey, I purposely want to sow discord or I want to walk in disunity. But I I think practically there's not been enough skin maybe put on the bones. Just, uh, you know, I mean, as you look historically at Jonesboro, the city of churches, I mean, part of the reason that there are so many churches are because church people like to fight, you know, and they don't know how, um, they don't know what to do in the midst of conflict. So we want to build, um, uh, you know, honestly, we're not healthy as a church if we're not having conflict, just like in your marriage. Like if there's marriages here that don't have conflicts, um, that's not the, the presence of maturity. That just means you're not communicating with each other enough to actually, um, you know, so that's going to happen as we walk and rub shoulders with one another. Conflict is an opportunity to grow closer to Jesus and to grow closer to one another. So when we work through conflict with one another, it actually has the potential to draw us closer instead of further away. So we don't have to fear conflict because Jesus has already died for all that we're talking about. So um, that's the posture I'm coming from. Is not that I think there's anyone that's purposely sowing discord or disunity, but I think there probably is some characteristic blindness maybe that exists, um, particularly in our area, to what this might look like. So, number two, our speech can build up or tear down. That's straight from the book of, uh, I believe, First Peter. We maintain unity primarily by speaking the truth in love to our neighbor, all right, hear this, rather than speaking about them, right? That is a, that is a cultural sin, right? Where it's easier to talk about somebody behind their back than it is to talk about them to their face, right? So that, that's something that um, is very acceptable in the South, but it actually is something that tears down our unity. We really are one. We recognize that the tongue has the power of life and death and acknowledge that the sinful nature has a tendency to avoid face-to-face communication and to resort to gossip, malice, and slander, which grieve the spirit. So I think that's, that's something for us to pay very close attention to. So can you guys maybe put some skin on it a little bit? What, what do you consider gossip, malice, slander? Because it's easy to talk about someone rather than to talk to them. What do you guys think? Um, for those of you who have taken part in gospel communities... Uh, or what used to be called community groups. I mean, it's easy 
for when you are doing life with each other. You're, you know, things are going to come out if you're really involved. Um, and so I think our tendency is to draw back um, and, you know, and to create a narrative, perhaps, if someone's hurt us. I know we've experienced that um, in our gospel community. Um, it's good to see um, my co-leader uh, here, Alex, he's sort of hiding behind someone. I see him there. But, you know, God has uh, just uh, graciously helped Alex and I come together uh, and lay down our sin, uh, talk grace to each other, build each other up, and who God is and what he has done. I mean, essentially, our hope to love is found in who God is and what he has done and what he wants. And so that is uh, the essence of our relationship. We are uh, his love. So uh, that has just worked out for me personally that, um, you know, things happen when you, when sinners, there's a book I just started and you've probably heard of it. It's called, What Did You Expect? It's actually talking about two marriage couples. And so uh, Paul Tripp wrote it. If anybody um, knows somebody who's about to get married or struggling, that's a book I would recommend. Um, but anyway, that, that's what happens. That's when sinners come together and sinners interact, it's going to get ugly. That's what happens. And so um, anyway, that has just, God has shown me that grace does change everything. Um, and it's just been a beautiful, beautiful picture of the gospel. So, Thank you. You got some? Yeah, we were just uh, we we're just kind of talking about this in uh, fellowship student ministry on Wednesday, talking about friendship and uh, and one of the things is just um, you know sarcasm is not a spiritual gift. Um, just letting y'all know right now, and this is something that like that I am just uh, hugely convicted by the Spirit on um, because I grew up um, with my group of friends. Uh, we just kind of came to a point where we were like, man, most of our conversation is just stupid. <laughs> Most of our conversation is meaningless, and it actually ends up tearing each other down. We were what we would call good friends, and most of our conversation uh, passive-aggressively tore each other down, just in jokes. Um, and that's one thing I'd encourage, um, encourage you all is that um, think about the power of life and death in the tongue. And I know for me personally, um, nothing makes my day more than verbal encouragement. I don't know if there's anyone else out there. Maybe I'm just weird, but uh, it just makes my day. It, it really does. And that is the power of life and death. And conversely, like if somebody just like the discouragement, man, that can just, just ruin a day. So we have so much power to not only break the unity of our church, but we have so much power to make the unity of not only this church in this tribe and fellowship, but in Jonesboro through just the power of encouragement, through the power of just being real with people and just saying, you know, you know, I'm going to be real with the people that are in my circle. I'm going to actually compliment them for real. Um, so many times we'll give each other compliments and we'll think of their jokes, like just because we're used to a sarcastic culture. So um, that's just something that I think of is the sarcastic culture that we, uh, we have to fight against to be real and to promote unity. Yeah, and so as we were just really wrestling with this uh, as leaders, uh, particular, just what is a working definition of gossip? Because this is really important. Um, kind of defining gossip as a conversation that you're a part of, of which you're neither the problem, part of the problem or the solution, where you're just gaining information. Um, so um, 
there are times where if there's a mentor relationship where you may ask for help with how to work through something or share concern that you have about someone. Uh, but a lot of the time, what it is, is basically we just know something and it makes us feel superior or inferior to be able to share that with somebody else. Oh, hey, did you hear this? And we think that we're building ourselves up, but actually what happens is we end up tearing other people down. So our working definition, you know, we're not, like I said, we're not going to be the gossip police, but hey, hey, if this is new, it's okay, right? A conversation that you have that you're not, you're neither part of the problem or the solution. Like if you're listening to that actively, um, in, and if you're engaging in that, I mean, that's the biblical definition of gossip, right? And it just characterizes the church in the South where it's just normal, right? And we couch it in, Hey, I want you to pray about this, but I think there's a lot more talking going on than praying. I'm going to be honest. You know, I think that that's the norm, right? And, uh, guys are not exempt from this. I mean, typically this may be something that the ladies feel like they struggle with more, but I I mean, guys, ladies in general, I know that that's heavy. Um, but this is the, this is the idea that we have a, a real opportunity to give grace to people that hear with our speech. And so we want to pay very close attention to how we speak to one another um, and rather than speaking about one another. So that's all I'm going to say about that. If they want to ask any questions about gossip and slander, it's juicy, huh? You can laugh. It's okay. All right. Uh, I'm going to go to number four now because this is where, this is what I would call a, a dysfunction of unity. Um, number four could actually be number three, logically. Truly overlooking offense means forgetting the offense. We consider it a person's glory to overlook a minor offense. That's in Proverbs. And the one who covers an offense promotes love. Christian maturity means at times that we will deal with the offense alone with God. Then this is the important part. Overlooking an offense includes forgiveness as well as resisting the urge to share the offense with other people. And so this is, this is the number one. I'm standing up because this is important. This is the number one way unity goes astray. People think that they are overlooking an offense, right? But what they're really doing, according to 1 Corinthians 13, is keeping a record of wrongs, right? And so you're, it's not, you think that you're kind of burying it and pushing it down, and you're not talking to God about it. But every time you see that person, instead of seeing that person, you see that offense. Like, that's a, that's a pretty good indication. Like, if you pray about it two or three times, and the only thing that you can think about when you see that person is that, that you are not overlooking that offense. And so scripture would say, hey, we need at that moment, the burden is on us, not somebody else to come to us, but the burden is on us to go to the brother and sister and be reconciled, right? I want to be as super clear about that as I can, because, um, yeah, there are people, I mean, and probably in this room where you would rather sit on this side of the room than on this side of the room because that person offended you. That is an invitation from the Holy Spirit to be reconciled if you can't overlook that. So uh, I just would encourage you with that to, to pray about that. But that's, this is the number one thing that I think where unity goes astray. People think they're overlooking something, but they're not actually overlooking it. They're just building a case until one day it blows up. And instead of working through it, you're just like, all right, peace out. I'm going to go down the street, right? That's, that's what happens uh, with offenses. So I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on that, but I mean, that, that's super helpful to me. Um, that's a point that Alan stressed to me. So I think it's great. What about you guys?
Yes. <laughs> Guilty. All right. That was helpful. Yeah. All right. Yes, Lord. Yeah. I just, I don't know um, how transparent I will be, but um, I mean, the elders uh, have fought through this ourselves. So uh, here, you know, the leaders of this church within the past two or three months, and I'm sort of the newbie, um, I have seen this actually work out in um, amongst the five of us. And so that has been an amazing thing. Second Corinthians five, Paul says is that our ministry is one of reconciliation. It is not, um, optional. It's who we are. We've been reconciled to God. Um, you know, what I found is, is that people are our favorite idols. And, um, when they fail at that, we get pretty upset. Um, so, um, we had to remember that we are reconciled to God. We have all that we need in Christ and therefore we can reconcile with those that are um, with us. That's what Ephesians 4 is about. It's yeah. unity yeah. and reconciliation. Yeah. Now, that's super helpful because, yeah, we, the, yeah part of the reason this is necessary is because uh, we as elders, we have disagreements, um, and we do these same things. And so we're trying to, in, in a real way, um, live this out. And I, I had to be honest, it's not easy, right? I mean, it's easier just to say, well, I'm not going to deal with that. And that's just the way that person is, but we're going to, you know, we're going to eagerly maintain the unity of the spirit so that we can actually thank God for one another. Because, um, the way that we do that tells the world, uh, a better story. And we have, we, I don't think we've ever taught through this here, but, um, I just want to stress that it, even if you ha- are the one that's offended and someone has sinned against you, the, the scriptural imperative still is on you to go back to the other person. It's not to wait for God to work in their heart. Like you go to your brother if you sense that there's anything between it. So I just want to make that clear so that we can just begin a, a process of that. I don't think that there's just these widespread broken relationships, but I, I do. I'm, I assume in a crowd this large that there are things that uh, that we're remembering and records of wrongs that we're keeping uh, that God wants to heal us from. So. All right. And then number three, forgiven people, forgive people. We acknowledge that whether we take offense or cause offense, right? That's what we're talking about. The initiative remains with us to go and seek peace. Forgiveness requires that we send our debtor away debt free because we have been sent away debt free at the cross. So forgiveness means forgetting, forgiving. Now I want to be, I want to, I want to make this caveat. When we're talking about abuse or we're talking about breaking the law, any of those things that deeply affect people, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the garden variety, hey, this person said something and it rubbed me the wrong way. We're not talking about deep-seated criminal activity that's taking place in marriage, you know, where marriages break down, those kinds of things. We're talking about... um, but the normal living life with one another. So forgiven people, forgive people. It should be our joy to send someone away debt-free because we have been sent away debt-free at the cross. And so um, forgiveness sometimes is costly. We have to absorb the cost, but um, we're not supposed to just bear that ourselves. We're supposed to take it to the cross and say, Jesus, you died for this sin. There is no reason for me to carry the weight of it because you have already carried the weight for us. And so that's what, that's what reconciliation means. It means free and full forgiveness and pardon. You guys have any thoughts or anybody have any questions?
Thoughts? Yeah. Yeah, I know it's like weird to ask questions uh, like this, but I just encourage y'all. Um, this is not easy. It's not easy, but it's worth it. Um, like, talk about this in your community. Talk about that this in your gospel community, in your families, with your friends. Um, because, I mean, there's, there's basically two options. I mean, the default that we all have is to not be vulnerable. The default we all have is to go through life and just kind of be like, okay, um, like Chad said, it's easier to just say, okay, that's the way this person is. And then your whole life, you're going to keep that record of wrongs building up. And, and that does more damage to you than it ever does to them. So I just encourage you all, um, open up dialogues in places that are comfortable for you. And I mean, it's not going to be comfortable anyway, but open up dialogues um, in any place and community that you can. Yeah, I have a friend, Josh Harris, who says, uh, bitterness is like taking poison yourself and hoping the other person dies. You know, I mean, that's pretty much what it is. Bitterness, uh, it defiles a lot of people, but most of all, it keeps you trapped in a a prison of anger um, and idolatry. You got a scripture, buddy? Yeah, I do. I thought, I mean, the the encouragement is, is just be real with God. I mean, go to God first before you go to people. Uh, I mean, even if you, I mean, you can just feel it something anger something bubbling up inside you i mean just please be quiet and get along with god and deal with with god because it's amazing how the whole perspective changes so my mind went to uh psalm 73 how this psalmist asaph was just like saw how he was getting a raw deal in all of life until it says but when i thought to understand this it seemed to me a wearisome task until i went into the sanctuary of god then i discerned their end and then he, he just saw life in a moment as he encountered the real god he saw himself totally different and he saw others totally different and so we've got to see all these conflicts as a chance actually the training ground to have deep intimacy with god because he cares he knows already and he will meet with you as you just run and be real and raw and honest with him. And then event, you're not ready to talk to people probably on the spot until you've talked to God. So That's good. And that, as we transition to a time of communion, I think that's important. We're not here to make... I mean, if, if the Spirit prompts you and you feel like, hey, I, I want to go to this person today, that's totally fine. But a lot of these concepts are new, so I would encourage you to pray. Spirit, how do you want me to respond? What does it look like for me to pursue unity? Um, the table that we're about to partake of is not for perfect people, but for people that need forgiveness. And every one of us have fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us uh, have fallen prey to gossip and slander and allowed a root of bitterness to grow in our hearts. So the table is where we come to be set free, where we come not to take the burden that we have, but to lay it at Jesus's feet and to be forgiven. And so uh, with that, I'm going to go ahead and and, and transition to a time of communion. We're going to take communion all together. That's going to be the last thing that we do before the benediction. So we've got four tables around this room. This is a symbol of our unity. Uh, I'm see if I can borrow somebody's Bible and read Ephesians 4 to us as we come to the table. This is, this is why we're not pretending to be one. We actually are one. It says there is one body And one spirit, just as you were called, to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, 
one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So we are unified together. We're not just playing a game here. We have the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead that's present. And he's here to bless us and to encourage us and to provide um, grace and reconciliation. So the meal that we're going to celebrate represents Christ's body that's broken for the broken relationships in this room and outside of this room. The cup represents his blood that was shed to wash clean our consciences for people that are more given to disunity than unity. And we get to come and we get to enjoy this as forgiven saints because of the grace of God. Let me pray. The first half of the room can come to these two tables and the back half of the room can go to those two tables and hold your elements and we'll take them all together in conclusion this morning. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your great love for us. Make us aware of your grace. Father, I pray that communion would be sweet. I pray that you would allow us to see Christ crucified for our sins, for our bitterness. Lord, forgive me for my bitterness. Forgive me for my anger. Forgive me for my gossip and slander. I pray that those sins would not affect this place. We repent corporately as a a group of people who are like wayward sheep. We all go our own way. We all give to what comes naturally to us. I pray that you would help us to come under the sway of the Spirit so we would live in a better story of grace. I pray that you would reconcile us and that you would allow us to experience the fruit of Jesus Christ crucified for us. So as we take this meal together as a symbol of our unity, I pray that you really would allow us to experience the miracle of reconciliation both to you and to one another. In Jesus' name. Amen.